Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes. Please be seated. <laughs> All right. Let's take our Bibles today. Turn over the book of First Timothy chapter six. Uh, again, we started off this year with a um, theme, and it's fight the good fight. And uh, we had. Uh, I said I was going to bring a couple of serieses along the way, and many serieses that would ultimately reinforce that thought. And we're going to start the second in that series, okay? It's only going to be three weeks. Now, it won't continue through next week. We're going to take a break with Easter, but we'll have this week and then a break. And then two Sundays where we're going to continue this thought, this, uh, this momentum here concerning uh, this issue. So we'll talk about that in a moment, but we'll read that verse here in just a minute. I, I did, uh, and again, I, I am really, we're pressed for time. We have a baptism. We've got to get moving. But I was, uh, uh, some of the singles uh, really... We're very adamant about me sharing some things with you that, very adamant, and I, I thought I better, uh, I, I don't want to disappoint them, um, but uh, anyway, let, let me just share it very quickly with you, a couple things, um, yes, you, you may not be able to handle this, brother, so here we are, what, what is, what is an alien's favorite snack? A Mars bar. 
That wasn't the favorite of theirs either. <clears throat> Why did the alien think grass was dangerous? He had heard it was full of blades. Come on now. Um, oh, 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 this is a good They like this one. What do you call an alien spaceship that drips water? A crying saucer. Okay. <laughs> what did the alien say to the garden? Take me to your weeder. <laughs> Instead of your leader, your weeder. Okay. <laughs> Why? Why do Martians suspect? Why do Martians suspect that walls keep secrets? Hmm, because they're always meeting in the corner. Okay, I like it. Okay. Um, oh, oh, this is. Uh, they, they, I don't know. I think this one went over their heads. But anyway, you probably will get it. What do you get if you cross a baby with an alien spaceship? An unidentified crying object. Object. <laughs> No, you get... Oh, okay, here we go. You're going to like this one. What's E.T. short for? What's E.T. short for? You remember? Hum. Hum. You remember that guy, right? What's E.T. short for? Because he's only got little legs. Right? Okay. Finally, here we go. This is it. How do you see flying saucers? How do you see flying saucers? Trip up a waiter. <laughs> All right, there you go. All right, well, that, that, they told me I had to share those, okay. Obviously, they were wrong. First Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy, yeah, we better pray right now, that's right. Okay, First Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. We read simply, Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Again, Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Now again, this is the key verse that we have for our series or our theme throughout the year. Fight the good fight. And of course, we had a couple of little mini-series that we're doing. And the first one that we started on was fight the good fight as stewards. And we talked about stewardship, and we talked about being a good steward of some things. And today we want to start another aspect of this series Fight the good fight as servants, as servants. Now, I want you to take your Bible, if you would, turn over to the book of Mark now, and we're going to look at the text for today's message and how we get into it. Mark chapter 10, verse 35, if you would. We're going to read just a few verses there, and then we'll continue. Mark chapter 10. Now, again, there's just a couple of mini-series, and again, we've already talked about being stewards. We're talking about servants. Now, the next one will be in the fall or toward the fall, and we'll deal with uh, being soldiers. Okay, fight the good fight of soldiers, all right? So we're starting our series here, this three-message series on fight the good fight as servants today. Now, if you would, look at Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Okay, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, saying, Master... We would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand, in thy glory. 
But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of? And be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of. And with the baptism that I am baptized, baptized withal shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. Now in this particular passage, we are permitted to listen in on a conversation between James and John and the Lord Jesus Christ. They approach the Lord and they basically say to him, Lord, we'd like you to do something for us. And the Lord responds, okay, what is it? What would you like me to do for you? And uh, they said, well, we, we'd like you to permit or allow us to sit beside you, one on the right and one on the left of you, in your kingdom. That's what we want. Now, that was a very honored position, and it, it will be an honored position, obviously. To sit on the right hand of the Lord, to sit on the left hand of the Lord, to literally be beside Jesus Christ as He rules and reigns in the millennial kingdom. A tremendous honor. And they asked for that honor. Now, to be quite frank with you, I don't know if their request was inappropriate. I'm not convinced of that. Matter of fact, the Word of God is very clear concerning asking and receiving. And so was the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, over in the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 7 and 8, the Bible says, Ask, and it shall be given you. The Lord speaking, mind you. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. So the Lord himself said, I'm all for asking. You want something? You need to ask. As a matter of fact, over in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 2, we're given this advice. He says, ye lust and ye have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, ye, yet ye have not. Why? Because ye ask not. The reason you don't have often is because you fail to ask often. The reason you don't have what you desire is because you do not request it of God. That's what he's saying to us. And so the disciples step up to the plate, these two, James and John, and say, Hey, listen, Lord, we have a request. We would like you to do something for us. And he says, What would you have me to do for you? They say, We want to sit one on the left and one on the right of your throne in your kingdom. Sure, they were ambitious. Sure, they wanted to, to have that high and elevated place. I just don't know that it was wrong to ask. I mean, if it's what they wanted, they asked. The Lord simply just said, well, it's not for me to give you. I'm not able to give you. If you're asking the wrong person now, I, this ain't the time nor the place to ask for that. I can't give that to you at this time. But I don't think that he was upset that they asked. But you know what? There were some that were. <laughs> there were about ten others that were pretty upset about it. 
Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that his, his uh, disciples, those other disciples, they were not pleased in the least bit. They were very upset even. They, they caught wind of that thing, boy, I'll tell you what. They were on fire. They were fired up. Hey, wait a second. Um, I got to thinking about that. Why would they be so angry? If the Lord taught them to ask if you want something, if the Lord said that, you know, any, nothing's without, uh, you know, outside of your reach, in my power and through my presence, uh, go ahead and ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened. Why were they so upset, you think? You know why I think they were upset more than anything? They didn't ask. I think it's because they wanted that too, but they just didn't ask. Oh, these guys jumped on it before we could even think about it. I wish I would have asked. I'm sick of them asking. All they want to do is be the top dog. They just want to be elevated with Jesus Christ. They just want that, that position of authority and, and preeminence. Oh, look at them guys. They're all about self. Down deep, they wanted it too. Who wouldn't want that position? I mean, I would be humbled, but I would be honored. And so would you. Why not? Now, again, I guess we could throw stones at James and John, and we could take the sides of those ten disciples, but I'll be honest with you. I kind of like that they asked those questions. I think it was good that they said, Lord, we want to sit. So I don't think there was anything wrong with that. I think they were just a little bit upset because, well, they didn't think to ask themselves. So Jesus calls them together. And what's he do? He presents them with a discourse discourse for the ages, really. And it's a discourse on leadership, and it's on servitude, and and Jesus begins in verse 46 to talk to them. And in that passage from verse 46 to verse, um, excuse me, 42 to 46, uh, for, excuse me, 42 to 45, that's what I wanted to say. Sorry about that. We see a couple things. Number one, we see the stereotype exposed. He says, and Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. He said, there's the stereotype. That's what it's really like in the world, he says. What's he saying? He's saying they exercise their leadership. You know, you take somebody that's exercising, you know, flexing their muscles. They like to flex their muscles. They like to say, I'm in charge. You do what I tell you. Okay, that's, that's the world. The world likes to be in charge. The world likes to be above. The world likes to take preeminence and be on top and be able to put down if necessary, to use people in a sense. Greatness is not measured, however, by elevation, we're going to learn. Because, see, the stereotype is exposed here, but the standard is explained in verse 43 and 44. Notice he says here, he says, But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. Wow. So that's the standard then. We know what the stereotype is, but this is the standard. The stereotype is that I'm above everyone. I'm looking down on everyone. I've got my foot on their neck. I'm under my thumb. I'm using them as a ladder to climb the corporate, you know, using them as a ladder to climb the corporate ladder. <laughs> what else are you going to say there? Okay, you might have had a word I didn't. But anyway, so they're climbing, right, using people, stepping on them if necessary. Hold on, the standard, that's not God's standard, though. God says, I've got a new standard here. Fellas, I want you to understand that's not what we do. That's not what I want for you. You know what? He says, you want to be great? Be a minister. Uh, you, you, who's going to be cheapest among you? He shall be servant of all. Wow. Well, that's a change of pace, isn't it? That's certainly different. See, greatness is not measured by elevation but association. 
It's not about how many are under me, but how many are around me. It's not about how many are there to carry me, but how many I can carry. You understand? See, it's not what people can do for me, it's what I can do for others. He said, that's the key, and that's what I want for you. That is the standard, the Christian standard, my standard, Jesus says. We see the stereotype exposed, the standard explained. We see the Savior's example then. He actually comes out and says, okay, um, even for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Fellas, I, I, the Son of Man, came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give my life a ransom for many. Wow. So you mean to tell me you didn't come to earth to rule over us in a sense that you're going to put us down and use us to climb the corporate ladder? Nope. I'm going to help elevate you. Matter of fact, I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to sacrifice myself. I'm going to surrender myself wholeheartedly, completely, without reservation for you. I'm going to serve you, even though you should serve me. I'm going to serve you. We see the Savior's example. He humbled himself enough to come down from glory and to serve his creation. Now, here's the point. I am certain, then, that we who are his creation should serve him. I'm positive of that. If he could leave heaven and come and serve us, I know we should serve him. See, serving is the responsibility of every believer today. Every believer ought to be serving. There's no room in our hearts or our lives for a haughty spirit. There's no place for a spirit of superiority or I'm above that. That doesn't belong in the Christian's life. There's no job little in the Christian life. There's no job little in the church. There's no job little when it's the Lord's work. And when you're serving people, you may not be able to serve to the capacity of others, but that service is big in God's eyes because He wants us to be servants as His children. During this, quote, miniseries on fight the good fight as servants, we're going to note three areas of service. First of all, we're going to note fight the good fight as servants of the master. Then, as servants of the ministry. And finally, servants of mankind. We're going to look at those three areas over these next three weeks. So this morning, I want to address the first one. Fight the good fight as servants of the master. I mean, Jesus Christ gave his all for us. Certainly, we can give ourselves back to him. And so let's go ahead and take a look at that this morning. I'm going to talk to you today and share with you how are we to serve the master. Three simple thoughts. How are we to serve the master? Let's pray. Father, we come to you. Lord, help us in these next few minutes. Lord, we just uh, know that we have a short time, but Lord, may you take that few moments that we have And may you, Father, use it to your glory. Father, let me be your mouthpiece. Fill me with your spirit. Lord, I do not have anything to share, add, or or give to these people with the exception of that which you give to me first. Holy Spirit of God, may you use me today. And Father, may you just anoint every listening ear and may we hear with spiritual ears. We'll thank you. We'll praise you, Father, as you do your work. You said your word would not return void. We take and claim your promise even now in Christ's name. Amen. So how are we to serve the master? We know we should be serving the master. He served us. We should serve him, obviously. Well, we need to serve with reverence. We need to serve with reverence. Take your Bible if you have one today. Turn over to the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. Isaiah, chapter 6. 
Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. Again, um, we're going to be meeting with one of the prophets, a prophet by the name of Isaiah. uh, The book is named after him. Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read the first eight verses, all right? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. He laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. We have a wonderful passage here, of course. We have the prophet Isaiah. And boy, I tell you what, he is in the very presence of God here. What an amazing place to be. It's a place that you and I can obtain to through prayer, meditation, as we Go to God in His throne. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. But we find here the Isaiah, he's having this vision and he sees God high and lifted up. A couple of things I want you to note about this. Notice, or he, we need to recognize His altitude. We're talking about God now. If we're going to serve Him with reverence, we need to recognize His altitude. Altitude meaning height. Again, verse 1, he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. May I say to you today that God is not at our level. God is far beyond us. Man, he is high and lifted up. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9, the Bible says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I mean, the moment we try to bring God down to our, our world and put Him in a little box and shape Him the way we want Him to shape and make Him look the way we want Him to look and say the things we want Him to say and believe the things that we think He should believe, we have failed miserably because God doesn't think like we think. God doesn't do like we do. God is a God high and lifted up far beyond all of us. We need to recognize His altitude. Concerning reverence, though, we need to remember His attributes. I mean, in this particular passage in verse 3, we simply read here that he says, And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. We see that Jesus Christ, the God of glory, is a holy God. That means he's without sin. He's perfect. He is righteous. Matter of fact, in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, this is reiterated again when the writer says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. 
You know that God is holy. That's one of his attributes. That's one of his characteristics. And the fact is, is he is omniscient, meaning he's all-knowing. He is omnipresent, meaning that he is everywhere at all times. And he is omnipotent, all-powerful. May I say that the God we serve is very high and lifted up, but he is also a God with tremendous attributes that far exceed our abilities to obtain. Not only are we to recognize his altitude and remember his attributes, but along the way, if we're going to truly serve the master with reverence, we need to realize our desperation. (laughs) In verse 5, once again, the, the, the writer says this. He says, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. He starts with himself. You notice that? Woe is me. Now listen, he goes on to say something, and I want you to just to see this. He goes on to say, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Do you know what we like to do? Woe is this world we live in. Woe is that family. Woe is that couple. Woe is that person. Boy, look at their life. They're a mess. God help them. That's, that's usually how we like to address the issue. But that's not how God addresses it. When when we see God high and lifted up, when we really come face to face with a holy, righteous, perfect God, according to the Word of God, the first thing we see is our own sin, our own failure, our own evil and wicked heart. We realize our desperation when we've been in the presence of righteousness and holiness. In Psalm 51.3, the psalmist said, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. In Isaiah 64.6, the same book that we're in, he says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Man, we're sinners at the very root, at the very heart. And okay, we can go around and try to, try to convince ourselves that there's good in everybody. Well, there might be good things that people do, and I'm not opposed to that. But we are born in the image of Adam, who is born in sin. And the fact is is that we have a propensity to do wrong far above that which is right. People, if you look in the mirror today and you're honest with yourself, you know you can do wrong so much easier than right. You want to know why? Because you're born a sinner, and you'll live a sinner, and you'll die a sinner without Jesus Christ, and so will I. We're all in the same boat. We're in a mess. And you know what? When the, when, the, when, when the prophet saw God high and lifted up, man, when he recognized his holiness and his righteousness, and he realized how omnipotent and how, how uh, omnipresent, and, and he said, oh God, oh God, I'm such a sinner in your presence. I'm nothing. I'm zero. But then we have to recall something, though, before we just throw our hands in the air and say, well, there's no, no reason trying. No. Now, if we're going to reverence the Lord, we're going to serve the Master with reverence, then we certainly need to recognize His altitude, uh, remember His attributes, realize our desperation, but finally, recall our deliverance. You've got to remember and recall your deliverance, how God saved you from your sin. Now, God did a miracle in our lives when He saved us from our sin. He did something supernatural. He didn't need you to help Him with it either, and He didn't need me. He did it himself. I simply came to him broken. And he fixed me. In the book of Isaiah again, verse 7 in our passage, it simply says, And he laid upon my mouth and said, 
uh, talking about that coal from off the altar, and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. I'm glad when we get in the presence of a holy God and we recognize our sinfulness, God is quick to wash our sin away if we will humble ourselves first. We start thinking about serving the Master. You have to do it with reverence. You start thinking you're as big as God. You start thinking you know all the answers. You start think, somehow believing that you don't have to, uh, that you can disregard His Word. You got a problem. Amen. You're not Isaiah anymore. Now all of a sudden that's self-service. That is will service. When you can't see God the way He really is, you've got to get back in His presence. And then all of a sudden everything comes into proper view. Because, see, as long as a man sees himself big in God's eyes, he's truly little. It's when he sees himself as small in God's eyes that now he can be big in service to him. Oh, God, help us to be humble, to reverence ourselves before this God that we claim we serve. Because only in being reverent before our holy God can we truly serve the Master the way He intends. Number two, if we are going to serve the Master, we need to do it with reverence, but also we need to do it with rejoicing. With rejoicing. Turn, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 10. 1 Kings chapter 10. First Kings chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great train with camels that bear spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. Solomon told her all her questions. There was not anything hid from the king which he told her not. He answered every single question on her heart. Every single question. Can you imagine that? Wouldn't it be wonderful if you came to me in counseling and you said, Preacher, I, and I go, I know exactly what you're going to ask. I know exactly what you need. Here's the solution. Here's the answer. Here is, and you go, Woo! That's the Queen of Sheba. She goes there and starts to bear her heart. And before it's over, God, uh, God gave Solomon wisdom to know her heart. And he answered every single question, every single thought on her heart. That's amazing, isn't it? Simply amazing. You know, if God, I'm just going to throw this in. This isn't in the message. But if God can help Solomon, a king, to know a queen's heart, I've got to believe that he can help a husband know his wife's heart. Don't you think? I don't. I can't figure her out, preacher. I can't figure her out for nothing. Well, maybe you need to get in the presence of a holy God instead of trying to figure it out on your own. I'm just saying, God gave Solomon great wisdom. Maybe you need wisdom from God. What's that? James chapter 1, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That's a good point, huh? By the way, ladies, you know what? If he can give... Solomon wisdom. Oh, wait, no, let's go this route because let's keep the picture right. 
if a queen comes to a king and bears her heart, don't you think a wife should come to her husband and bear her heart? Solomon didn't answer her questions till she bared her heart, till she came and seen him. I don't know, understand. He doesn't even have a clue what I'm thinking. Well, maybe because you never talked to him. Maybe you never told him what you're thinking. You ever just asked him? Have you ever just sat down and talked with him? He won't talk to me. He's got Sports Center on 24-7. Well, now you've got a real problem. But anyway, <laughs> moving on with that one. But, but nonetheless, we see that in this particular case, she, here she goes. We're going to finish up our passage here. But Solomon told her all the questions. There was not anything hid from the king, which he told her not. Verse 4, And when the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom in the house that he had built, and the meat on his table, and the... the, the uh, Excuse me, and the uh, sitting of his servants, and the attendance of his ministers, and their apparel, and cupbearers, and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord. There was no more spirit in her, and she said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit I believe not the words until I came, and mine eyes have, had seen it, and behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. Happy are thy men. Happy are these thy servants which stand continually before thee and that hear thy wisdom. Notice that last verse. Happy are thy men. Happy are thy, these thy servants. Boy, is that important. Happy are these thy servants. I mean, we're supposed to be serving the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of all the universe. In the passage, we, we see this passage, and historically speaking, we have a king by the name of Solomon who has many servants. And the queen of Sheba comes and begins to bear her heart. She wants to see what God has done, if it's really true. Boy, she saw it for herself. And one of the main things that stood out in her mind was how happy those that served the king were. We see the passage, but I want you to note the portrait then. See, there's a doctrinal application of this as well. Not just historically, but doctrinally, this passage deals with the millennium. Again, uh, this is at the height of the, of the Israelite predominance. This is when they were, at their, they were world powers at this point. Solomon's reign is the closest reign to the millennial reign that you will find in the Word of God. And when you see his reign, you're going to see things that match up with the millennial reign. And so what we see then here is that this is a picture of Jesus Christ on the throne of David during the millennium. And we see the people there that will be in that millennium serving the master happily, rejoicingly, lovingly. And we know something? That's exactly how the Lord wants you and I to serve him today. Happy are thy servants, he says. See, serving the Lord is not to be viewed as a drudgery, but a delight. Amen. Will you please do me a favor? If you are a Sunday school, at community, uh, Sunday school teacher at Community Baptist Temple, if you are a bus worker at Community Baptist Temple, if you are a choir member at this church, if you are involved in the ministry in any way, would you please come to me when you cease being happy serving and it becomes a drudgery instead of a delight. Because, see, it is a spiritual problem that you have now. And I want to help you to overcome that because anytime you serve the Lord, it ought to be rejoicing in the Lord. It ought to be a happy time. 
Oh, I, this soul winning is just, I'm so tired of going soul winning. I don't even want to go anymore. We've been at it two full weeks. <laughs> then listen, what is the problem? So we, I, I've been keeping track who's been here. Outside of the staff, very few people come more than two or three times a week. We're not, we're not killing ourselves here, folks. It ought to be a blessing to go out there and knock on a door and share the gospel. It ought to be an encouragement to you when someone says, Sure, go ahead, open the Bible, show me how to be saved. Then you ought to go, Woohoo! Yeah! I mean, it ought to be a joy. Serving Jesus Christ is a blessing. It's exciting. It's happy days are here again, boss. Man, I'm telling you what, you need to serve the Lord. And you need to do it with a happy heart. It is a delight, not a drudgery. And if you are serving the Lord out of drudgery, my friend, it can be better. You don't have to do it that way. Solomon, his servants didn't serve him in drudgery. Jesus Christ in the millennium, his servants won't serve him in drudgery. And by the way, his children and servants today should not be serving him in drudgery either. It's not Jesus' fault if we're not happy serving him. It's our fault. How do you serve the master then? You serve him with reverence. You serve him with rejoicing. Finally, you serve him with resolve. With resolve. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 8. We see the apostle Paul. He's coming to the end of his life and he says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them that also love is appearing. My, oh, my, what a blessing. He says, man, the Apostle Paul says, I fought the right battles in this life. I didn't waste my time fighting battles that weren't worth fighting. I fought the right battles. I fought a good fight. Not a bad fight, a good one. He's not talking about I was a good fighter. See, only the Lord can judge that. Paul couldn't judge whether he was a good fighter or not. He's not the judge. Jesus Christ is the judge. So what he was saying was, I'm fighting the good fight. I'm fighting the right battle. I didn't waste my time fighting over things that were unworthy of my time or effort or wasted the Lord's time and the energy and the the health that he gave me. No, I gave myself to the right battle. And then the Apostle Paul, the Bible tells us, fulfilled God's purpose and plan for his life. He said, I finished my course. See, you have your course, I have my course. Everybody has a purpose and everybody has a plan. We know the purpose of God is is expelled out for us in the word of God. We call it the will of God. We find it here. However, there is a plan for you. It's different than it is for me. No one's plan is the same. It's all unique. God explains it and he expresses it and he gives it to you. Every one of us have a purpose and a plan in this life. Paul said, listen, I finished my course. I did exactly what God called me to do. I fulfilled my purpose and plan for life according to the word of God. Finally, the apostle Paul faithfully contended for the faith for a lifetime. And he didn't give up, he didn't quit, he didn't turn back. He stayed true to the faith. Again, he was a tremendous example to each of us of how we're to fight the battle, wasn't he? How we're to fulfill God's purpose and plan, how we're to faithfully contend for the faith for a lifetime. He was a tremendous testimony, a tremendous encouragement. However, not everyone will remain faithful in the battle, will they? In the book of Hebrews, we're warned to live by faith. We're warned to avoid the catastrophe of disappointing the Lord Jesus Christ. Over in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, because of time, I'm just going to run through these quickly because we're going to finish here. It says, Now the just shall live by faith. 
But if any man draw back, now you better turn there. You need to see this. It's too important. Real quickly, we'll, we'll cut something else out. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38 and 39. Hebrews 10, 38 and 39. Notice what it says now. Hebrews 10, 38, 39. Now the just shall live by faith. And that's usually where we end, right there. We like that. It's exciting. Hold on. But if any man draw back, my soul shall not have pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. I want you to know something. He said, the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall not have pleasure in him. There's a verse in Proverbs, chapter 3, verse 32, that could kind of go with that or parallels with it. It says, for the froward, the froward is an abomination to the Lord but his secret is with the righteous. You say, what's that word mean, froward, is an abomination? What's froward? Well, it's the Latin, and it comes from the Latin. It means turned or looking from. Okay, okay, here I am. Um, I'm, 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 I'm turned this way, toward the Lord. I'm froward now. I'm turned to the Lord. I'm froward now. I'm not looking the direction I ought to. I'm looking from instead of to. Matter of fact, as it gets more detailed, it means perverse. That is turning from with aversion or reluctance, not willing to yield or comply with what is required. Okay, Lord, I, I know what your word teaches and I know what you say, but I don't want to do that. That's froward. Matter of fact, in the definition, it says they are very, it says, as a froward child. If you have a froward child, you have a child that is disobedient. He doesn't listen. She doesn't listen to you. Doesn't obey your rules. You, you try to talk to them and they go, mm. look at me when I talk to you. Mm. You, ever, you, know, you ever see kids do that? You know, they're, they're froward. They're froward. God says, listen, that's an abomination. Hold on now, watch this. For the froward, that's not froward behavior is abomination. That is the person who is froward is abomination to God. Did you, did you, it's what it says. It's not what I said, it's what the Bible says. So if we draw back the soul, he says, my soul shall not have pleasure in him. The froward is abomination to the Lord. Wow, I'm going to tell you something. That's strong words. I mean, think about some of the things that are abomination in God's eyes. This is strong business. This is real serious stuff. We need to be resolved to serve God no matter what. We, we need to be very careful not to allow ourselves to turn away from the Lord. The world is always trying to allure us. It's always trying to pull us away. The devil's always trying to trick us into thinking somehow that we're walking God's way when it's our way. You be very careful. I know God wants me to do this. Okay, how do you know that? How do you know it? The Bible tell you? Spirit of God, put it on your heart? Tell you to do this? Well, I just feel like. 
Whoa, 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 watch the fields. We walk by what? what did, wait, wait a second. The just shall live by faith, not feelings. Faith. Be careful. See, this isn't about the pastor. This isn't about Community Baptist Temple. This isn't about Christianity. This is about you. You pleasing God. Me pleasing God with my life. I have a group of singles back here that I teach every week. Let me tell you something. I want them to grow up to have the blessing of God on their life. I say things back there I wouldn't dream of saying to you. You want to know why? They can handle it. If I said some of the things to them, to you that I say to them, you'd probably be, <laughs> oh. <clears throat> but I am so desperate to see them turn out for God and to experience the joy of the Lord and to serve God with delight, to love Him with all their heart. Sometimes I just have to share things with them. Now, Noah, for 120 years, remained faithful in building the ark amidst unprecedented opposition. Joseph, who for over 20 years endured betrayal, rejection, deceit, and loneliness while facing a pit, Potiphar's house, and imprisonment, ended up on top in the long run. Didn't quit. David, who for years was on the run from an egotistical maniac, King Saul, continued and was faithful even before he ever realized his destiny as a king. Oh, he knew he should be, but he wondered if he'd ever reach or obtain it. But he stayed faithful. The three Hebrew children who would not bow to any other God but Jehovah God. <laughs> Boy, those guys. What an inspiration, huh? Daniel. What about Daniel who gave himself to prayer even though it meant a lion's den? What about Naomi who chose to follow God, the God of Ruth, even at the expense of leaving her native land and her very own family. But she said, I've got to serve the right God. And those are just a few of the stories that are written on the pages of the Word of God and in world history. Today, I just want to encourage you, we need to serve the Master today. We need to serve Him. But we need to serve Him with reverence. We need to recognize who we're serving He's not our buddy and he's not our pal in the sense that we have this lackadaisical, apathetical attitude toward him. Yes, he's my friend and yes, he's my brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. I understand that. But listen, let's not try to bring him down to our level. Let's not put him equal with us. He's not just one of my buddies teaching Sunday school. He's not just somebody that runs the bus route with me. He is God, the creator of the universe. And he treats me like a son. I ought to be humbled by that reverently serving Him, rejoicingly serving Him. This is no drudgery. <laughs> this is a delight. People say to me, and I, I, they do this to me all the time, they say, I'm sure that you, because I'm a preacher, I'm sure that you have woke up on Monday mornings a number of times wanting to quit. And I just go, I'm sure you have. Can't agree with a fool in his folly. Now, I didn't call him a fool. I'm saying he's wrong. I can't agree with him. I can't say to him, you're right, because he'd be wrong. I'd be lying to him. I don't wake up feeling like that. I don't wake up feeling like that. 
I, I always love, I have always loved the ministry, folks. Oh, are there bad times? There's some difficult situations. I run into them periodically. I've had a few this week that were very difficult. But the fact is, I still love what I do. I love the Lord and I love serving Jesus. It is a blessing. It's a delight. And when I look at my family, I see the reward of it all. And I say, I never want to turn back to the world. I'm tempted to sometimes every day in my life. Tempted to turn back. But so far, God's given me the grace to say no. And I just want to serve the Lord joyfully and with rejoicing. And you know what? That's what he wants from all of us. The best we can with all our heart. And finally, with resolve. Let's make up our mind. We're going to serve the Lord no matter the cost. No matter the cost. Do you know Christ is your Savior today? If you do, wonderful. If you don't, you need to settle that. There are promises in the book. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That's not what a preacher or a church says. That's what the Word of God says. And you know what? You need the Word of God on it. You need Christ's promise, not mine. And he says that you can know for sure. I want you to know before you leave here, you can be the child of God that you want to be. You can have a home in heaven. You can have the Holy Spirit of God living in you, guiding you, directing you. You can know that when you close your eyes in death, you'll open them in the presence of Jesus Christ. But you have to let the Lord speak to you through this word. Won't you let us show you from the word of God how you can know? And if you're a child of God today, let's make up our mind. Let's get resolved on this thing. If I'm serving the Lord, I'm just going to keep serving him. If I haven't started, I'm going to start. And if I am doing it, and I'm not going to quit, but I'm not real happy doing it, I'm going to get with God and say, Lord, I'm not, I'm not content serving you out of duty. I want to serve you out of delight. I don't want this to be drudgery. I want it to be delight. Let's get it right today. This is an altar here in just a moment as we open it up. You come if God's spoken to your heart. If you're needing baptism today, if you're scheduled to be baptized, I want you to walk right through those double doors there. Start getting ready. We're going to just get right into our baptism. Get that handled today. Okay? Bear with us. Be patient with us. We'll get that done, folks. It's a little bit different today, but if you could get that handled. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed, every eye closed as the pianist comes.